Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Morning, church. He's faithful. Amen. Amen. As it says in Hebrews, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's faithful, he's loving, he's kind, he's powerful, he's God yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, my name is Ryan, and it's a joy to be able to, uh, to bring the word uh, this morning uh, and to share. Uh, as we continue a series in the book of Revelation, uh, looking at the seven letters to the seven uh, churches. Today, we're thinking about the church in Sardis. So uh, if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be looking at uh, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6 today. Uh, and so I really encourage you, uh, yeah, just follow along in your Bible. We're really going to be letting it be our outline today as we dive into the text. Uh, and so it's something that's helpful just to kind of have it open. Uh, I really encourage you as you come to church, uh, bring your Bible and read along. Uh, and then make some notes and then think about it later in the week. Um, we know this for humans. If you hear it just for a few minutes, you know, 35 minutes, I don't know how much time, I got 30 minutes, um, uh, one morning, and you don't come back to it, it's probably going to like float away. There's a lot of other concerns. So I really encourage you throughout the week, come back to what God was sharing. And I'm really grateful, uh, as we have a sense this morning, that God is speaking to us. Something that underpins the message we're going to look at is his very faithfulness. And so we're going to continue along as we look to his word. And I really want to encourage us as we continue in this, uh, uh, this series through the book of Revelation. It says in our last verse for the day, so uh, Revelation 3, verse 6, He or she who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Can I share an embarrassing fact with you? Is that okay? Okay, good. You guys can talk. Like, we're at church. Um, <laughs> Uh, so embarrassing fact about myself is I produce probably an above average amount of earwax, um, which is gross. Not like enough that it's going to like just start dripping out of my ear. That would be really, well, really gross. But, um, but so much so that every now and then my ears will get clogged. And typically we use Q-tips, which I don't think are recommended uh, for you to try to clean out your ears. And so sometimes the wax gets pushed in. Anybody been there? Just me, because there are a few of us here. So I do have an above average amount of earwax production going on. Um, <laughs> uh, but so again, so we tried different things. My, my ears got clogged, both my ears. Like I'm a musician, so I'm trying to drum and hear the band, but it's hard because my ears were clogged. So I tried the Q-tips. Uh, that didn't work. Uh, I tried putting olive oil in my ear to soften it. That didn't work. I saw that online. I tried that candle thing. You know, you've, you've seen those candles you can buy. Those are a total scam, just so you know. But I tried the candle thing. I don't encourage you to do what my dad did. Dad did when I saw him as a kid, get, taking the keys and just getting in there. No, I don't think he did that. But, um, but I definitely don't recommend that. So what I had to do is I had to go to the, the doctor, the walk-in clinic, because I couldn't get my ears unclogged. It, and when your ears are clogged, it's hard to navigate through life. You kind of feel disoriented. You're in a room with people, but you feel alone because you can't hear all the conversations. And so I went to the doctor, and he, he basically took this bottle filled with water with a special nozzle. It's basically a super soaker. 
and he shoved it into my ear and started going to town, spraying water in my ear. And I'm like, my ears are clogged, but I don't think blowing my eardrums out is going to be a better solution because it was painful and I was a bit, but... The good news thing is all the stuff in my ear came out. It was really gross and awesome at the same time. And I could hear. And we often have compacted stuff in our spiritual ears. Things that make it hard for us to hear from God's word. And so this morning, our hope is that we would obey the words of Jesus. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church is. That includes Horizon Church, whether you're on, in Surrey or in Princeton. So our hope this morning is that we would even right now by the Spirit, God, would you reveal the things that are clogging my ability to hear your word? Maybe it's discouragement. Uh, maybe you've just had a hard week. Maybe you're feeling really tired. Whatever it is, we're going to pray in a moment. We're going to pray, Lord, whatever it is that might try to close my ears from your word, God, I'm going to choose to remove it. And that which I can't, would you come and bring your super soaker and open my ears to hear from the word. We want to hear what he says. This morning, our big thought is we find hope in repentance when we wake up from the temptation of complacency and comfort. We're going to take a look at Revelation chapter 3, 1 to 6, this idea that we find hope and repentance when we wake up from the temptation of complacency and comfort. So we're going to read the text, and then we're going to dive on in, knowing that the Spirit wants to speak to us. Isn't this awesome? The Holy Spirit, when we come together, when you read the Bible by yourself, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. So it says this in verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, Right. The words of him who has seven, the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at the hour I will come against you. Verse four, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This morning, we have a message called Sleepy Sardis. Sleepy Sardis. Let's pray as we continue. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for times like this, when we gather as your people to hear from you, that Jesus, you are the one who is speaking. You are the one that holds the seven stars. You're the one who has complete power. You're the one that is in control. You're the one who has the seven spirits. That's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And we know, Holy Spirit, you want to come and speak to us. So God, I pray for our spiritual ears. I pray that they would be open, 
God, I pray that you would remove the obstacles that we find that we can't, and we would choose to keep them open to your voice this morning, laying aside distraction, laying aside discouragement, laying aside tiredness, whatever it might be, that we would hear your living and transformative word. And so, God, we thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you empower and speak through me this morning? In Jesus' name, somebody said, amen. Amen. Have you ever sleepwalked before? Anybody ever slept walk? I've slept walked once that I know of, maybe more. Um, but I remember one time I was uh, having a sleepover. Uh, one thing, uh, there's not many teenagers in here, but one thing I loved about the summer was sleepovers. Anybody a big fan of sleepovers? That's awesome. Now I'm married, so every day is a sleepover. It's with my best friend. It's awesome. Um, but I remember one time sleeping over at my friend Timmy Tambourine's house. That's his nickname. Um, I think my dad called them that. Anyway, uh, I often call my parents out. I apologize to my mom and dad, who often become sermon illustrations every time I preach. But uh, so we slept over at his house, and we would, like, have great times together, jumping on his trampoline, playing with Lego, making, making movies, having a great time. Uh, and one time in the middle of the night, we were sleeping, and I was having a dream. Uh, And in the dream, I believe I was actually in my own house walking to my sister's room to knock on the door. Now, I knocked on the door in my dream, hoping to find my sister's, but what I found was his dad standing in his underwear. Um, And I quickly realized that I was sleepwalking. Now, one thing that's interesting when we read this text is Sardis was sleepwalking. Sardis was drowsy, so much so that it looked dead. And so Jesus comes to speak to the church in Sardis, the sleepwalking church, and he says, wake up! And here's the truth that many of us are sleepwalking or are drowsy. And maybe there's some here that are spiritually dead, and what Jesus is going to speak to Sardis speaks to us that we need to wake up out of our sleepiness, uh, out of our drowsiness, our weariness, out of our complacency, and walk in relationship with God. Because we're going to find, when we read the text, there's a warning. This is a serious thing. That if they don't, if Sardis doesn't wake up, Jesus says he's coming in judgment. He's going to show up, and they don't know when it's going to come. There's an urgency for them to respond to the word that they're sleepy and they need to wake up. And perhaps in some area of your spiritual journey, you're sleepwalking. And we have a great gift this morning that the alarm clock of Jesus is going to wake you up and lead you into life this morning. We want to look at this text, this, this text that Jesus comes to this sleepy Sardis church and calls them to wake up. And as we walk through this text, I want to look at four temptations, five remedies, four promises, and one big hope. Do you think we can do that in 20 minutes? Yeah, we're full of faith. We're faith people, okay? So let's go through. First, we want to think of four temptations that we see in this text, temptations that they're encountering. Now, what's interesting about Sardis compared to some of the other churches we've looked at is the nature of the temptations, In some of the the other churches, their temptation is because of external persecution, the temptation is to quit. 
Or maybe the temptation is false preachers are coming and stirring things up in the church. And what they need to do is resist the temptation to listen to the wrong voices and listen to God's voice. But Sardis is different. Uh, Sardis is different than the other churches that first there's no positives. Jesus doesn't say, yo, you guys are doing this well. Over here, not so strong, but this. No, there's not really this large encouragement to Sardis. But their temptation isn't those things. They actually have a different set of temptations. Some similar, some that are unique to Sardis. And it's not because of pain, because of trial. It's because of something else altogether. So I want to look at the four temptations that they're experiencing and then see what God might speak to us. What's unique, I love about these letters to the seven churches is that, in a sense, what we see in the natural, in the historical cities, is mirrored in the churches spiritually. I think Pastor Craig mentioned it last week. It should be the opposite. What's happening in the church as we love the Lord and pursue him, that should be what's mirrored in the culture around us. It should be the opposite way. But for these seven churches, often what's happening in the natural is mirrored in the spiritual. And so we want to look at some of that and these temptations they faced. The first temptation. So again, if you're not, again, not the awesome band, the temptations, good music. But, um, but the, four temp- the first temptation, if you're taking notes, is the temptation to rely on your reputation the temptation to rely on your temptation it says Jesus speaking to them I know your works you have a reputation of being alive but you are dead so historically this city of Sardis was a very influential uh, a very well it still was at this time an influential city but one of luxury and affluence and money it had a big part to play. It was the capital of its province. And so I had a pretty, pretty great past, a past that they would rely upon, of who they used to be, resting on their former laurels. Now, they're still doing well, but they're not quite in the same position. There's, you know, things aren't quite what they were, but they still look to the past. When Sardis, that... In Sardis was where like modern money was invented. That's where coins were apparently first used, this place of Sardis. And so what happened is, is that the city had this former glory that they'd always look back upon and they'd rest on that reputation. But we see that with the church as well. That if an outsider visited their church, they would think, wow, this church has got it going on. They're a busy church. They've got, people would say, there's a reputation of being li- alive. There are things going on, that they are doing great things. And what's happened is that the church is that they've rested on their past reputation. And what they've done is now they've drifted away from who God's called them to be. It's kind of like this idea uh, where they've kind of put it in neutral. If you've ever driven a standard vehicle, you kind of start driving and you can push the gas on and get things moving and then you can drop it in neutral and just let it coast for a while. Here's the thing, it'll go for a while, but if you don't give it more gas, it's eventually going to stop. And that's kind of what's happened spiritually to this church. They've just let it coast and let themselves drift, slowing down. And this is something that happens to us as well. Sometimes we might think, and this can take all sorts of shapes. Uh, For churches, it can happen. 
Where, man, churches, we think, you know, back 20, 30 years ago, man, we were really going. Those were great days. We're still that church. But we just coast on what God did many years ago and not believing for what he wants to do today. That can be a spiritual reality for someone where maybe they were dynamic and winning people to the Lord and they just rest back upon that reputation. Maybe because of their busyness, they look like, wow, they look like a supernatural Christian. They really got it going on, and they start believing the, the press that other people say, oh, I'm, I think I've got this going well. And because of that, we can become complacent. We can fool ourselves into believing we have a vibrant spirituality when we just hold on to the things of the past. This can happen even in the evangelical world for evangelical churches. When we pray a prayer of salvation, we say, I'm good. Back in 2003, I prayed the prayer. I'm all good in the hood. Now, I haven't done anything about it since then, but I'm still good over there. No, we, this is, again, we can rest upon our past to believe it's still our present. And that's what's happening here, which puts them in a dangerous place. Jesus warns them, you have this reputation. Other people's perspective is that you're alive. But whose perspective is that really matters? It's Jesus. He says, I know your works. He's the one that's weighed and tested them and say, actually, you think you're alive. Others think you're alive, but realistically, you're dead. We get really good at putting the filters on spiritually. We can show up to church and put on the Instagram filter of we got it together and it's going really well. But we might know, and Jesus knows, throughout the week, our faith is sleepwalking. That we're drowsy. We're not pursuing him as we ought to have done. That's a temptation that Sardis faced and a temptation that we face. Another temptation that they faced is lazy labor. So we can have the temptation to rest upon a reputation, but we also have a temptation to, of lazy labor. So Jesus continues to speak to me. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete. They have a temptation. Now, again, historically, there's this idea that there was a temple in, the, in Sardis that remained incomplete for a long time. It wasn't to God. It was to another false god. But again, naturally, we saw a place that because they're used to seeking pleasure, luxury, things are going pretty well, they become complacent. It's probably one of those attitudes, oh, we'll get to finishing it at some point. But that's also happened in the church. Jesus sees their work, sees their activity, and sees that the work is incomplete. Now, in the original language, it's different scholars looking, what could this mean that the work is not, it's the work, you have not found your works complete. What does that mean? Few things it could mean, and I, I, I have a sense that it's probably multiple things. First is that their work is unfinished. That in their spiritual exuberance, they're like, let's do this new thing for God. And then as they get into it, eventually it tapers off and they don't finish the new work. How many of us have ever been there before? The temptation to start something new, but not see it through. Maybe you're like, man, I've got this great morning devotional plan, and I'm going to read this, and I'm going to pray that, and every morning I'm going to do it. And you do it for two and a half days, and then it tapers off. And we have a trail of unfinished work. That's what Sardis had. And there is this temptation to start, but to not finish. 
potentially when it says that their works aren't complete, it means that they have the wrong intentions. That again, if Jesus is the one that's examining, he examines our hearts. And perhaps the church is starting things, but it's not the right intentions. Their intention is, who knows, entertainment, uh, just to kind of have a good time together. But the, Jesus knows, and we can see this even in our own faith. Sometimes we do the right actions, but the motivation isn't from the right place. It's incomplete because what makes it complete in God's eyes is that we're doing it from a heart that desires the Lord. Or potentially what's incomplete with their work is that they're focusing on the wrong things. Perhaps the church has failed to focus on things like evangelism. And when we say evangelism, what we mean is telling other people about the hope we found in Jesus. If you are a believer, just so you know, part of the expectation is that you are now part of this great mission, this great movement in the world to personally and corporately proclaim and tell about what Jesus has done. And maybe they've focused on the wrong things. You would visit their church and they've got this great thing going on and this great club happening and this great activity, but all of it misses the mark that it's actually not making disciples or not reaching, the, the, reaching lost people or hurt, uh, helping hurting people. That can be a temptation, is that we can get very busy with spiritual looking things but not actually the main things that Jesus has called us to do. You might say that they were leafy, but not fruity. That they were leafy, but not fruity. Now, what I mean is this. Uh, Jesus is walking, and in Mark chapter 11, uh, Jesus is walking with his disciples and sees a fig tree. And the fig tree early see before it's supposed to be you know fruitful this fig tree that he sees it's full of leaves full of life this promise whoa if it has all these leaves there should be some fruit and Jesus comes to the fig tree sees that it's just leaves no fruit and he curses the fig tree and the fig tree dies because it's just leaf not fruit from the Old Testament to the New Testament, Jesus has called his church and his believers to fruitfulness. Not just busy activity, but they would actually produce the fruit of the kingdom. And some of those fruit are the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That we would individually be expressing those fruit in our life. But at some point, if we're a healthy church, there needs to be people getting saved. There needs to be disciples being made. Otherwise, we're full of leaves and no fruit. And we got to be careful because Jesus, Jesus doesn't want that. He wants us to be fruitful in our lives. I'm going to read this from one author. He says this, Greg Lanier. Our personal lives can look like they are in leaf. Our leaves might look like those of a supermom, a winner, a perfect family, an A-team Christian with an overstuffed schedule of ministry activities, but the root may be withered. There may be no fruit of holiness or intimacy with God. What's worse is our leaves might even fool us. And our churches can do the same. A church's leaves may look impressive, booming attendance, capital campaigns, clever pastors, impressive music. But what will the Lord find upon close inspection? Will he only find leaves or will he find figs as well? 
Sometimes in our business, we say, no, I'm good with Jesus. I'm doing the stuff. But we never stop to say, am I bearing the fruit that Jesus desires in me? That's a temptation that Sardis was facing that we face as well. Now, another one, another temptation that they faced is this. Uh, it keeps going. You still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. This is an idea that there are most of the church, there's the, the minority are, are good. The majority have soiled their garments. And what that means, that's a picture of conforming to the culture. Pastor Creek, uh, Pastor Creek, Pastor Craig, uh, who's running a, a full marathon or is it half? A half marathon today, Lord, we pray for Pastor Craig that he would run the race with endurance and finish it in Jesus' name, healthy and happy. We thank you for him. We bless Craig and Shanda in Jesus' name. Somebody said amen. But last week, Pastor Craig preached on this idea of conforming to the culture. And uh, I encourage you to listen to that. We're just going to briefly talk about it here. But we know that in Sardis, they had a reputation of being, uh, for being sexually immoral, for being pleasure-seeking. And what happened is a lot of those in the church just conformed and went along. There's this temptation to conform to the culture. But here's the thing is that we can live in the culture and not be stained by it. We can be those who through Christ's righteousness have been given white garments and we can walk and live and function in the world and not be stained by it. We can do it. We don't need to conform to the world. I'd encourage you to listen to Pastor Craig's message from last week. The last temptation that they faced is the lullaby of the good life. The lullaby of of the good life. Again, historically, Sardis was known uh, for soft and luxury seeking. Like this is what other historians describe them as. They were so affluent, they had so much money, so much time, that they just kind of pursued pleasures. We live in a culture right now who is pleasure addicted. That everything we do, we want it to feel good and make us happy for the moment. We want to get another dopamine hit from another slide, uh, you know, flicking through social media. We don't want to do things that are difficult. We just want to experience pleasure all the time. And there, here's the thing. You know, that can be good that we live a healthy life and wealthy, all those things. But what we need to know is that sometimes those very things, wealth and leisure and ease and lack of conflict, can actually be toxic to our souls. Now, one of the reasons why they, didn't, they lived this easy Christian life is because of the conformity. They weren't going against the culture, so there was no resistance from the culture. So it was really easy to go along with everything, easy in the comfort, easy uh, in all the luxury that they, and the affluence that they had. And this is true for the church in the West today. Often the greatest temptation isn't trials or persecution, but affluence and comfort. It's a temptation. I'm not saying we shouldn't have some of these things, but we have to be aware that sometimes affluence and comfort can actually be toxic to, toxic to our soul. Unexamined comfort leads to and can lead to complacency in our spiritual walk. We think everything's good. 
We're all we're taken care of. I'm actually good in myself. I don't really need Jesus. And we start going down this path towards complacency or thinking that we've done it ourselves. We need to be aware of the affluence of our culture and what it can do to our spiritual reality. We need to address it, face it, recognize that Jesus is my source, that my identity is found in him. My significance is not found in the size of my bank account, but in who Jesus says I am. And when we have a right view of our affluence, a right view of our wealth, we can actually then leverage it for kingdom use and not cause us to actually, actually drift away from Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Sardis had these temptations, temptations that we often experience that often want us to cause to drift away from Jesus. Failing to address these temptations has put Sardis in a spiritually precarious place. And if they don't listen, and with some urgency, there will be some serious consequences. Jesus says, I'm going to come back like a thief in the night. That's speaking of judgment. Jesus is going to come, and they may no longer exist as a church if they don't listen to Jesus. And our unaddressed overconfidence in our reputation, our own unaddressed conformity to the culture, our spiritual apathy does have serious consequences in our own lives. So the question is, is what will we do? These temptations that Sardis has, we face as well. Well, there's five remedies that we see in the text, that Jesus gives five commands five imperatives. And all of these things are what Jesus calls his church to do, the sleepy Sardis, that's so spiritually sleepy, it looks dead. And so he says, I want you to do these five things, and let's look at them here. The first is this. The first command that we find in the text is, wake up! (laughs) Jesus comes and gives them a command. And he says, first thing to overcome these temptations is you need to wake up. You're sleeping. You're sleepwalking. You're drowsy. You're almost dead. And so Jesus commands them to wake up. And that's a word for us today. For those who us have maybe drifted a bit in our relationship with Jesus, we're comfortable, we're apathetic, wherever you might be, Jesus is speaking to you and to me that we need to wake up. Uh, in the original language, that wake up can also be understood as be watchful. It's not just a one-time thing, but it's an ongoing being awake or being watchful. Because here's the reality of our human nature, is that we need to be watchful because the human default is to drift away and not towards God. We sing it in a hymn that I love. It's called, Come Thou Fount. Uh, and it says, "Lord, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. When we're honest with our human condition, that there is a natural tendency to drift away from God, not towards him. We need to be awake to that reality so that we continually pursue him. We continue to move towards him, to make decisions, conscious decisions, to say, I'm choosing you, Jesus, to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And not only is it our tendency to drift, but the enemy wants to cause us to drift. He wants to distract and to discourage us. He wants to do everything he can to pull us away. So we need to be watchful, alert to that reality. Sardis wasn't alert Sardis as a city was overtaken twice in its history. 
twice with the same strategy. One thing that Sardis had was a huge rock wall in the main city center. Massive. It looked impenetrable. Like it's this amazing defensive thing. That, and, and because of this amazing defensive wall, they got sleepy. And twice in their history, which is once, okay, but twice, come on, guys. What happened is, is that enemies came and they saw that with this cliff face, there was a path to get up. And then in the middle of the night, they would send a force up the path. And then when we got into the city, guess what they found? No guards, nobody watching, because they were so assured in their own safety and everything that they got, self-confidence. And what happened is they were overcome and defeated. When we get overconfident in our own ability, say, I'm doing this, this is all about me, or when we just forget the fact that we could walk away from the Lord and drift away, we can be overcome and defeated. We need to be those who are watchful, pursuing Jesus. Jesus then also commands them, what do you do when you're sleepy spiritually? First, you got to wake up and remain watchful to the reality. Next, you have to strengthen what remains. He speaks to them and says, strengthen what remains. So even though he said they were dead, there were still some things that they could build on. Some things that they could look at and continue to go on. Some embers still burning. And one thing it could be is, I was reading from Daryl Johnson, you've heard him mention from some of the other pastors, wrote a great book on Revelation. And what he may, Jesus may have been speaking about was spiritual forms and disciplines and things and practices that the church does. They may have been doing them, but they may have been empty of the right intention. But Jesus doesn't say to stop doing those things, but to build upon them. What might this look like in our lives? Maybe you've been attending church just because out of a reluctant obligation. Don't stop going to church, but instead build upon that practice. Strengthen by re-engaging your heart and your spirit. Maybe take some notes. Maybe talk with someone after church about the sermon. Maybe one of the things that you've done, but you've kind of just do it out of habit, and it's not really alive spiritually for you, is reading the Bible. You're doing it just to check a box off. But I want to encourage you, don't stop reading the Bible. Just strengthen by inviting the Holy Spirit to come and awaken your times in the Word. Don't just read the Word, but let the Word read you. Maybe get a new reading plan. Maybe find a different translation that makes it easier to read. All these things you can do. Because this idea of make firm, or strengthen is make firm. Make it healthy again. The next command is that Jesus calls them to remember. Somebody say remember. If you're feeling spiritually sleepy, if you're a bit drowsy, I want to encourage you, and Jesus is commanding you to remember. And commanding you to remember two things. To remember what you've received and heard. What you've received and heard. The heard part we know. What have they heard? They've heard God's word. They've heard the gospel. Would you remember it? Our brains were so easy to forget the gospel and what Christ has done for us. How he's died upon the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And when we receive that through faith that we are transformed into new life in Jesus. The gospel is good news for salvation. It's good news for the believer every day. And we need to remind 
remind ourselves about the wonder and beauty and power of the gospel of Jesus. Amen? If you want to wake up, remind yourself what Jesus has done for you. But what else have they received in addition to the word? They've also received the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. On your own, you cannot fully wake up. We do need the Holy Spirit to come and make us alive to God again. What, and, but we have received the Holy Spirit. If you've trusted Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come and is now active in you. Would you remind yourself that, Holy Spirit, you are with me. You are here to empower me, to comfort me, to enable me to live for Jesus. Remember what you've received and heard. Two more things as we think about five remedies is that we need to keep it. When we think about what we've received and we've heard, God's word, the gospel, we then need to keep his word, attend to it carefully, obey his word, value the word, make it a priority, commit to live the ways of God. It's not just one thing to hear a sermon every Sunday and then live how you want the rest of the week. If we want to be alive spiritually, we need to hear the word and then do it. It's called obedient, and God's word is so good that he's gifted us. He's not hidden from us that we can walk with him and obey his word. We need to make the choice to hear his word and then keep it in our lives. Staying attentive, staying attentive to it, remaining connected to Jesus daily. Last thing that we need to do, and this one kind of describes all of them, is that we need to repent. We've heard that word from the other sermons or the other churches as well. That when we've decided to drift away from Jesus, to go with the culture and flow away into the apathy, into them temptations of the culture, walking our own way, they've lost me. When we walk this way, what we need to do is repent. Turn back to God and to walk towards him. We acknowledge our sin. We apologize. We confess it. And then we walk back towards him. Repentance is a change of our mind, a change of our thinking from going these former ways and now walking back in the ways of God. Repentance is this turning, moving away from where we were going, which was leading to destruction, and moving towards Christ again. Repentance is a word we don't like, but repentance is a gift. Repentance leads to life. Repentance releases the chains that bind you. Repentance reminds you of the faithfulness of God. Let me say that again. Repentance reminds you of the faithfulness of God, as it says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repentance reorients our desires and actions towards Christ. Repentance returns us to close communion with God. If you want to become spiritually awake and alive again, repentance is a great gift from God that allows us to, to walk awake and alive in full relationship with him. And what happens when we choose this? When we choose to not be sleepy, not sleepwalking, when we listen to God's command, we receive four promises that we'll look at quickly, and I can talk with you about another time, or you can find me at the end of the service. What's the result of overcoming these temptations? Jesus says that for those who conquer, those who are victorious over these temptations, and much of our conquering occurs in our inner world, they will be clothed in white. This is a metaphor of purity, of justification, and eternity with him. 
if we endure, if we conquer, obeying God, walking with him, it says the promises, our name will never be blotted out. That's a metaphor for salvation. If we, when we walk with him, that he will confess, before, confess our name before the Father. Again, this is a picture of us in eternity with God. But there's also a promise in here for those who walk with him, is that, that we get to walk with him. That when we choose to not walk with the culture, but to walk with God, that we get this close, intimate relationship with God that we see throughout Scripture from the garden and onwards, that for those who walk close, we get this amazing, intimate relationship with Him. Sin separates us from God, but holiness fosters this closeness that we can walk with God. And He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me that I am His own. That's an old hymn. So, this morning, we thought about... Four temptations, five promises. Uh, uh, yeah, four temptations, uh, five remedies, four promises. The last thing I want to share is one big hope. Here's the big hope, is that it's not too late. Do you want to know what the good hope of this text is? That when we read it, we're like, this sounds kind of like a downer. No, this text is full of hope. There is hope because Jesus is warning them. Jesus is giving them a warning and then time to repent. That's full of hope. Because here's the thing. Sometimes we see this in Romans. God's wrath looks like this. You want to walk your own way. Eventually, Jesus might say to you, go and have it. And he won't correct you, won't warn you. That's a dangerous place to be. There is great hope when Jesus rebukes you. When Jesus calls you out. When Jesus warns you. Why? Because it gives you the opportunity to turn to him, and he's a faithful God. We can have hope because he is faithful. Warning is a good thing because it's mean it's not too late. The scripture says that he disciplines those he loves. One picked, uh, again, and we were reminded that the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for a thousand and giving, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. There is hope because Jesus is still speaking and we can return to him. What we don't know from this text is what Sardis does. They get the warning, but we don't know what happens. You want to know the good news? Sardis listens. And as a result, one author says this, is that Sardis becomes, in the second century, the church was known as a bastion of doctrinal fidelity and bold defense of the faith, and a church that remained there until the 14th century. Jesus like, if you don't sue something, I might come at any moment. They respond and listen, and then they live for another 1,200 years because there's hope. When we turn to Jesus, we can find life. It's not too late, and it's not too late for you today. He's faithful, and when we return to him, we find grace. Every command of God implies that he's going to give us the power to do it. Every time that he warns us, we know that when we turn to him, we're going to be met by his grace and by his love. There's great hope in this text because God is faithful. So where are you at today? Maybe you're here this morning. You'd say, spiritually, I'm like, I've got spiritual Red Bull. I'm so awake for Jesus right now, you don't even know it. Wonderful. That's great. Keep awake for Jesus. But just remind yourself that there is sometimes a tendency to drift. So just be aware of that. Pursue Jesus. Maybe you're drowsy. 
I'd encourage you to refresh yourself by examining Christ and the gospel, what he's done for you. If you're sleepwalking, wake up and re-engage Christ with your heart and with your mind and your strength and walk close with him again. If you are nearly dead, would you hear his voice and obey his ways? He's calling to you. He's speaking to you and I this morning to wake up no matter where you are. And if you're spiritually dead, you'd say, I've never turned to Jesus, never trusted in him. I'd encourage you to repent because in repentance, we find forgiveness, grace, and life when we turn to Jesus. We find hope in repentance when we wake up from the temptations of complacency and comfort. And in him, we find life and we find hope and peace. Can I pray for us this morning as we close? Lord, we thank you for this morning. And Jesus, we thank you that you speak to us. That just as you spoke to the church in Sardis and you called them to wake up, you're calling us to wake up again to the reality of the wonder of walking in close relationship with you. And as we wake into that reality, we awaken ourselves to life, not only now, but for eternity. We awaken ourselves to hope, not only for today, but for tomorrow. And God, we awaken ourselves to know that you walk closely with us. Jesus, you're with us. You'll never leave us, never forsake us. So God, would you forgive us when we drift, when we allow different temptations to pull us away. God, we repent. And God, we turn to you, the faithful God who receives us and empowers us. And God, I want to speak to those who even in different areas of their life feel that there's something dead. Jesus, maybe you gave them a promise. Maybe you gave them a prophetic word and they see it's dead. It's not napping, it's dead. They've got a vision, whatever it might be. Jesus, would you remind us that not only do you speak to sleepy people, but you can even speak to dead people, to dead things, and they come back to life. That Jesus, you spoke to Lazarus who was dead for four days. You commanded Lazarus, Lazarus, come out, and he obeyed. So God, I pray that this morning that those who are experiencing, maybe they're feeling spiritually dead, spiritually weary. Maybe there's a dream that feels dead, a vision that feels dead, that Jesus, that your word would meet them where they're at. They would hear you and respond and that they would wake up and that dead things would come to life, that drowsy things would be alivened again into the reality of our life with you. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. So let's just take a moment before we go. Holy Spirit, would you search our hearts Jesus, you know our works. And would you search us? Would we take a moment and ask and say, Jesus, am I spiritually alive? In what areas maybe am I sleepwalking? Let's just take 15 seconds and allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And if he hasn't already, allow him to point out the areas in our lives that we need to strengthen, we need to keep, we need to wake up again. So Jesus, we thank you that you speak to us. And may we be faithful to you 
because we know that you are always faithful to us. And because of your faithfulness, that you don't change, that in your character and nature, that you, worthy you were, worthy you are, worthy forever you will be, that we can find hope because in you, you are always there to receive us when we repent, we turn to you, and when we choose to come close, choose to wake up, we always encounter your grace and your power. In Jesus' name, somebody said, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.